I'm going to start this off by crying. <laughs> Jesus is so good. Donovan, is that right? Dude, I just lost it. <laughs> just lost it watching you get baptized. Guys, we, we're a community where people want to get baptized in bathtubs. <laughs> it's happened multiple times this year. And it's awesome. I just sat there. I have a... What, a 10-week-old? Almost 11-week-old? Oh, man. Fathering will do it to you, man. It'll get you. So I just sat there and I just kept thinking, there's going to be a day where I get to see my daughter give her life to Jesus. And she's going to get to experience life and life abundantly with her creator who created her specifically for this time and this manner for this mission. Golly, guys, I'm wrecked. Okay. Let me compose myself. Also having an almost 11-week-old, you don't get a whole lot of sleep. My, my wife is amazing. She's an all-star. She gets less sleep than I do, and I'm really tired. <laughs> so connect the dots. Um, Wow. Transition. Okay. So I don't know if you guys heard this or not during announcements, but Liam said, and I quote, Instagram direct message, this is more of a paraphrase now, Instagram direct message 900 of your closest friends. <laughs> now, anyone who hears that would say, who in the world has 900 close friends? Liam does. That's who. Okay. <laughs> He hasn't met someone who hasn't become a good friend. <laughs> and it was an honor getting to baptize him a few years ago. That was awesome. Um, okay, so I do not take preaching lightly. I want to honor your time. You have gone through the easy to extremely hard task of waking up on a Sunday where it's raining and coming to a church to experience God. And... I want to partner with that. So I've been working on this message for probably six weeks, just kind of meditating on the process, and I hope that the fruit of my labor becomes fruit for you in your journey. Having said that, here we go. So uh, I don't know if anyone had seen this on um, Facebook, but the title of the sermon is going to be When You Question Your Faith. And I'll just say, it's really hard to preach on questioning your faith without questioning everything in the process of teaching on questioning your faith. <laughs> so, it's been a, an interesting journey. But, today, I want to talk to the doubters, the questioners, worriers, misfits, destitute, helpless, hopeless, disillusioned, investigators, scrutinizers, unbelievers, those that feel like you're out of faith, those that feel like you've lost your faith, disenfranchised, the former zealous, 
Those that are running on empty, the tired, the worn out, the weathered, the outcast, the downcast, the depressed, the repressed, the discouraged, the downtrodden, the isolationist, the separatists, the overly introspective, the overly reactive, the despairing, those that feel stuck. Yeah, this list is going, guys. Uh, those that feel stuck, those that feel frozen in place, those that feel they can't open up, those that feel they can't trust anyone anymore, those that feel they can't trust Christians or the church or God, those that hate God, those mad at God, those that resent God, those hiding from God, questioning God, running from God, worried that God is not for you, those that think God is not good, those that feel the Lord has forgotten them, abandoned them, that you followed him and poof, he's nowhere to be seen. For those of you who resonate with that, you are welcome here. Today I want to talk about what you do when you find yourself questioning your faith. Notice I am not saying if you question your faith, I am saying when you question your faith, because it's going to happen. And when it does, it doesn't make you a bad Christian. It doesn't make you less than. On the contrary, it is healthy, normal, and a regular part of the Christian journey. So why this topic? Why now? I have four reasons why this is an important topic. First, it totally fits in our up-and-out lifestyle that we try to disciple people in. We've been teaching uh, in this series this whole year so far, and this really does address the digestion from the up to the in, which leads to the out. So that's the first reason it fits. Two, in recent years, I have found myself in relationship with multiple people who were once a part of church and Christianity. And along the way, they've encountered doctrines, teachings, leaders, church people who have crushed, stepped on, crushed and stepped on them, causing a crisis of faith. And they had nowhere to discuss it. No one to talk within the church about how they doubted God's goodness, how they don't trust certain pastors, how they were hurt, or they questioned the entire format of church and how it is supposed to be a function in this world. Because how can the people of God be so hateful, hurtful, blind to injustice, condemning, pious, or prideful when they are following Jesus, who is loving, caring, and compassionate? Now, whether their perspective is legitimate or strictly their perspective, if the world looks at Christians and sees us as intolerant and the opposite of loving, then we've missed our calling card, which is to love. Our love for one another is supposed to be our calling card, according to John 13. Something has been lost in translation. It fits. Something's been lost in translation. It is in third reason why now, why this topic, it is of the utmost importance that we embrace people in their process of working out their faith for each and every one of us are always working this stuff out. Our faith is always shifting, accommodating, molding because Jesus is still revealing himself to us. And every time he does, we have the opportunity to shift and grow, adapt to what he's showing us. 
And finally, I want to encourage those of us who have seemed to have hit a roadblock in their journey with the Lord. And I want to give you some practical tools to navigate it. Okay, everyone on the same page. Is this a relevant topic right now? Okay. The real head nods are the people who really need it. I get it. Okay. So what do I mean by questioning your faith? Uh, unfortunately, faith has a lot of baggage attached to it when you use that word in Christendom. Christendom? You know, some camps have put baggage on it unintentionally. Um, but it's been hijacked. So... For example, uh, you got sick, question mark. Well, you didn't have enough faith. Um, you went to see the doctor instead of, of just praying about your illness. Well, you didn't have enough faith. You don't have enough money to pay your bills. You don't have faith in the Lord's provision. These are some of these, uh, I would say, half-truths and lies that have put baggage on the word faith, right? And in these circles, uh, faith becomes a legalistic measuring stick of how people view one another's lives. These circles are toxic, unhealthy, and damaging. So today, we're not addressing the baggaged faith. We're addressing the working out your salvation with fear and trembling kind of faith. So I actually just pulled the definition of faith straight from the dictionary. I thought it was great. They actually had a second uh, definition that was strictly for kind of Christians. But I like the actual complete definition, which just says complete trust or confidence in someone or something. So therefore, faith or complete trust and confidence in God can only come through a re relationship. You embark on a journey of learning to trust God from day one. Donovan's on day one. Welcome to the family. Um... We'll see if we can't get some words for you later, if that's cool. Um, start to go off on a rabbit trail, and you miss where you're at in your notes, guys. Yeah, so from day one of encountering Jesus, you don't start at complete trust and faith in God. You just don't. If you look at the disciples uh, in Scripture, they started a three-year journey, and even after the three-year journey, they still questioned who Jesus was, after confessing, thinking about Peter now, after confessing, Jesus, your Lord, after seeing the Mount of Transfiguration, then denying Jesus to some teenage girls. They're intimidating, though, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> oh, man, I'm going to have a teenage daughter. Great. She's going to have friends. But our house is going to be the safe place. Anyway, so... Um, but even the people that spent time with him on earth still questioned who he was post-death. They needed the Holy Spirit. And then after that point in time, there were still some times where even Peter himself kind of got into, well, not the best teaching, right? He was still working it out. He was a bold coward. <laughs> and he needed to be corrected. And Paul did that in some letters. Okay? So there's this journey. You don't start at total faith. You don't start at complete faith. You start at, okay, Jesus, you're interesting to me. Okay, Jesus, you did some crazy stuff. What does it look like to follow you? And it builds from there. 
Since we're all on different journeys, various topics that make us question our faith will pop up at various times. There's some areas that I might question that you will never question, and vice versa. So let me give you some examples of potential triggers, uh, some of them on the very manageable side of questioning your faith, all the way to this will make your brain hurt and maybe even question everything. Uh, before I share this list, uh, I want to remind you, you can email your questions, concerns, and rebukes to Liam at Crestwood Vineyard. <laughs> Org. He oversees our pastoral team here at the church. Uh, seriously, email um, So here you go. Here are some potential triggers that can come up through life that make you question your faith. And I prayerfully tried to erase a lot of these. And every time I went to, I felt like the Lord said, no, leave it. So here we go. Uh, God seems distant. And uh, side note, as I say these things, know that with each example, I can name people and put faces to the people who have left Christianity because of these things. This is because of people, right? God seems distant. A family member dies unexpectedly. You're the victim of a violent crime. You lose your job. Did the Lord make all of creation in six days? When you feel the Lord has spoken very clearly to you about something and it just isn't happening. You or a close one gets an incurable disease. I put incurable in quotes because all diseases are curable through Jesus, but some are carried to death. It's just the unfortunate reality. Um... Someone doesn't get healed supernaturally or naturally from a sickness. You get a prophetic word and it doesn't happen. Or you get a prophetic word and you don't believe in prophecy. Okay? This is one of my favorites. You instantly question your faith anytime a corporate tongue takes place. Instantly. What do I think about this? I believe in it. And I still think, okay, checklist. Where's the interpretation? Anyway, when you see Christians act a certain way and you don't know how to reconcile that with Jesus, with what Jesus said and did, that's pretty prevalent with like teenagers, with kids that are like fifth, sixth grade. You go to a Christian school and it's like, we're all Christians here, but why is she so mean to me? Why is he so mean? Why is he bullying me? How do I reconcile these things? His character comes into question. Like, how does a loving, all-powerful God allow war, famine, and genocide? How is that just? How does a just God not instantly wipe out anyone who harms a baby or a child? There are places in the world where people literally will birth a child and throw it in a dumpster. Some of our team is in South Africa. South Africa is starting to implement dumping spots where children can be put in cages and a GPS signal goes off to notify them that there's a baby in there. How is that just? 
Views of eternity, uh, eternity and atonement are challenged. For example, how can Jesus' blood, who paid for the sins of the world, turn around and condemn people to an eternity of torture in hell? That can cause a crisis of faith, right? Now, obviously, torture and eternity to hell is actually more heavily influenced by Dante than Scripture itself. So there's a lot on that. Uh, questioning your faith, does hell exist? If Jesus' blood paid for sins, then how come there's a hell? Or how about Jesus' blood actually paid for everyone's sins? Or is it just a few that he preordained prior to creation? Was his blood for a select few or for everyone? Was the atonement, the extent of which Jesus' blood interacts with creation, explicitly chosen by God? For, for some by, by God? Was it for all who call on his name? Or does following Jesus matter at all? How could a loving and just God wipe out all of humanity with a flood? Noah's Ark has become a kid's church story about animals. It is not about animals in a boat. <laughs> it's not about the fluffy animals, you know. That was in my notes. I read it. Um, okay, so that's a lot. Show of hands. Who has asked any of these questions? Great. So we all have de developing, questioning our faith, right? These are all great questions, and they're not scary. My hope is that for some of you who haven't thought about some of these, that you didn't just trigger all of them, because <laughs> that would be hard. But again, Liam at CrestwoodVineyard.org. Um, and that's okay. Some of those will never trigger you. Some of them will trigger you, and it'll take you years to work through. Some of them can be addressed in a day. Life will happen. So faith in Jesus is like stepping on a level later. Okay, this is a word I've developed. If you've been in an airport, it's not an escalator. It's the level later where you step on and you don't move, but you're moving. It's level on the ground. Level later, right? So faith is totally a level later, and this is why. Because you step on and you can interact with it. You could keep walking or you could not. You'll see people on the journey going the other way. On the outside of the level later, you'll see stores. You'll see people running with their luggage. If you stand in the wrong place, someone will bump you with their bag and they'll be like, get out of the way. And you're like, okay, jerk, you know. Um, needless to say, the reason why faith is a level later is because the moment you get on, the journey has begun. Regardless of how much you interact with walking, you're still experiencing life. With faith, when you start in a relationship with Jesus, even if you put your head in the sand and never leave your house, you're still going to encounter things that challenge your view of Jesus and challenge your worldviews, right? So with this in mind, I'm going to give you my three rules on how to question your faith, okay? Matthew's three rules. Rule number one. Stay connected to Jesus. This might seem like a no-brainer, but you'd be surprised and even shocked at how many people encounter a questioning of their faith and they completely stop talking to the one who gave them faith. They're just like, I don't want anything to do with them. 
you know, unfortunately, that's how some of us treat our fellow friends and family that make us mad or hurt us. What do we normally do? We stop talking to them. It's not how we interact with enemies, y'all. Staying connected to Jesus may also seem self-serving. Really, Matthew? If I'm questioning the life of Jesus himself, doesn't it seem a little unfair to keep attempting to talk to Jesus? Well, yeah. If you're questioning the validity of Jesus himself, if he responds in the conversation, question's done, right? Question's been answered. If he responds, he's alive. Or you're crazy. Or both. Most likely he's alive. Or you're crazy. Um, you're not crazy. Um, so if we interact with, uh, let's say this. The only person, the only way to grow in relationship with the person is to interact with the person, correct? So for example, uh, if Mark did something that really made me mad, that chasm, nothing, he hasn't done anything to make me mad, by the way. This is not passive aggressive. <laughs> the chasm that's created has now created an opportunity for me to show him that there was a chasm that was created. Okay? There, Mark, there's a problem. This is how you affected me. I disclose myself, right? And then he has the opportunity to see how his actions or my actions, how they interacted, how that affected me, right? And in doing so, the relationship is built. And I'm totally sharing some of my later sermon notes, so uh, that's exciting. Um, that being said, it is paramount to stay connected with Jesus. He brings clarity. He might not always spell out each letter of each word to the answer of your question, exactly how you'd like it. But he might just answer with giving you peace. Peace is a byproduct of trust taking root in your heart and mind. There's this great little passage in 2 Corinthians 3. Paul was addressing this thing happening in the Corinthian church where people kept trying to adhere to the Old Testament principles over Jesus, right? So they'd be like, well, we know the Old Testament. We're going to follow that over the new covenant in Jesus. <laughs> and basically, they're, they were undoing the work of Jesus and replacing him back with Mosaic law. 2 Corinthians 14 through 18 says, But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses, read, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding, beholding with unveiled face, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. I love this passage. You can see this dichotomy of old thinking, old teaching, new thought, new teaching. Old covenant, new covenant. It's highlighted here. And I know better than to do eisegesis where I read into scripture our experience 
Um, but, you know, what, what's happening to us here is not exactly what's happening to a church from 2,000 years ago. But there are principles that play throughout. Paul's own critique of the situation was that only through Christ is the veil taken away. That the Lord actually brings freedom through Jesus. In the process of being unveiled, we are continually transformed from degree to degree. Now, us here now, we might not adhere to old Mosaic law. Some of us do. We were raised in churches that did that pretty well. I was raised in a church that we went to church on Saturday because that was Sabbath, right? And uh, we didn't do certain things like we didn't eat pork, we didn't drink alcohol. Yet we were polyester, <laughs> which is in the same passage. Don't eat this. Don't get tattoos celebrating the dead. Don't wear clothing of multiple fabrics. Okay, so clearly we picked and choose what we wanted to believe. My family might watch this and get mad, but um, that's okay. Um, but as we turn to the Lord with our current social forming, how we've been formed in America. We have a Western mindset. We have veils that have to be removed in order to see Jesus and implement his new covenant in our lives. So it's not the same as 2,000 years ago, but we have our own veils, right? And it's only through turning and looking at Jesus, staying connected with Jesus, that whenever those items come into question and it causes us to question our faith, that he anchors us and carries us through that process, right? Psalm 34, 8 articulates this so well. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Be anchored in Christ, because in that he gives you clarity to see clearly. Clarity to see clearly. So that's my first rule when you begin to question your faith. Stay connected with Jesus. Don't abandon him because he's not going to abandon you. In fact, when you leave that conversation, that's still the conversation, right? If Jesus leads you to a question of faith and you're like, I'm out, I'm done, I'm walking away. Jesus is still there with the same question and he still wants to meet you in that process. He sets the agenda. Rule number two, stay connected to others. By design, we, are, we as humans were created for community. It is a part of being an image bearer of the Trinity. Right? Let us make man in our own image. Our own image, the Trinity. In fact, when God was naming all the animals with Adam, God said it was not good for man to be alone. It was, that was the only not good in all of creation. Even in a world that didn't have the incident with the serpent yet, that was not good to be alone. So we must stay connected with others as we question what's going on. Our natural tendency is that as we begin to question precepts of God, and again, it's that whole spectrum. Why did I not get healed? What's this whole deal with hell, right? And everything in between. 
when we start to do that, we start to remove ourselves from others. This is what I have to work through. That sentence alone is Western mindset indoctrination, right? I have to take care of my business. That's not in scripture. And I have some stuff later that's going to be good on that. But the sad part is that's the perception and the reality also in a lot of churches. It's a place where you have to have it together, right? And that's just not true. The church is to be a hospital, a gathering place of broken, disjointed people who are on a progressive mend of regularly encountered Jesus together. Side note, aren't y'all glad that CV is a church that you don't have to have it all together? So grateful for that. <laughs> My goodness, I'm just going to read this. My goodness, I love that we have set a low bar. <laughs> Very low bar. I mean, just come on in. Uh, instead of pulling away when questioning, be bold, lean into others, and share with those that you trust. Talk to your Jesus group leader, your One Core One Four leader, one of the leadership team here at Crestwood. I've had several conversations with Charles and Robert about deeper theological matters. And it's so helpful to have a non-judgmental voice saying, here's some resources to help you work through this. And it's the process of me actually going and saying, hey, like, I need, to, I need help, <laughs> right? And I wasn't rebuked. I wasn't condemned. I wasn't cast out. You know, and the other part to that is also meet with the people who you trust, right? When you connect with others, meet with the people who you trust. It doesn't have to be a Sunday gathering. Everyone who raised their hands questioning, right, earlier when we all said, oh, yeah, we've asked that question. How many of those have actually been addressed in a conversation during a Sunday service? Maybe five during prayer time? Maybe. Could be more. The Lord is good. But this is not typically the avenue in which that takes place. I'm talking to roughly 150 people. The chances of me hearing from the Lord so well to get the individual message for each one of you that you need to hear, it's not going to happen. Maybe one or two of you, but not all of you. So there's this book that's written by Alexander, Alexander Vintner. He is... Uh, very foundational in the birth of uh, the vineyard, which is what we're a part of. We're a vineyard church. Here it's a book called Doing Church. I want to read a small portion that addresses this topic. He says staying connected to others is one of the biggest and best things we can do. He says it like this. The goal of relationship is community. It's defined as intimacy, oneness, wholeness, and maturity. The means of relationship is communication, and the essence of communication is love. So how do we love? Through self-disclosure, the gift of self given to the other. By sharing your feelings, you are self-disclosing who you really are. This gift of self is your greatest gift of love that you can give to another person. It is ultimately the most costly and meaningful exchange in any relationship. 
pause. Anyone who's married knows that self-disclosure <laughs> is like the backbone of marriage, apart from Jesus. Um, it is precisely this element, self-disclosure, that creates intimacy and community, a profound force for healing and growth. Relationships take root in the soil of self-disclosure and accountability, creating a safe environment for people to be themselves, to try and to fail, to be open and honest without the fear of being judged, labeled, gossiped about, or psychoanalyzed, but just accepted and loved for who they are. In the process of... Um, in the process of staying connected with others, the self-disclosure is the bedrock for community. The goal here is that you stay connected and that you experience the judge-free, label-free, gossip-free self-disclosure, allowing you to be nurtured in love while questioning your faith instead of the opposite. Instead of being ostracized, you're met with a hug instead of a push. Before we go on, I have to say that if you have been a person that had the trust of another person and they trusted you, they shared their process with you, were vulnerable with you, and you just trashed them and you shut them down on their journey, you judged, you corrected too quickly, you didn't let them get there on their own with a loving hand and support, you need to repent. If that's you, you need to repent straight up. If you were a person who is open and honest during times of questioning with your faith, with a person, pastor, friend, family member, and they didn't respond with an open ear or a loving heart, you know, all the things that Vintner was saying is good about community. If you opened up and someone just took a big dump in the middle of your dialogue, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. That wasn't from the Lord. He cares about the things that you question, and he wants to meet you in the question. He wants to reveal himself to you in a deeper way. So if that's you, I truly am sorry that you were hurt in that process. So be bold. Self-disclose what you are struggling through with trusted people in your life. And this is my second rule for questioning your faith. Okay, third and final rule. Stay connected to your process. So the first one was stay connected to Jesus, author and perfecter of faith according to Hebrews. Follow him, set your eyes on him, go after him, stay anchored. Two, stay connected with others. The Christian walk is not made to go alone. Jesus always sent people in pairs. Right? If I had more time, I would have read a whole section of uh, C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters. Uh, but to sum it up, with the staying connected with others, uh, there's a, pa a passage. I think, I, I think his book was inspired by the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to say that. Um, he talks about how he's writing from the view of the demonic, Right? And he's saying, the goal is to make a person feel lonely, even in a group of people. So if I walk in and Mark doesn't look at me properly, the lie that shoots in is, 
dude, did you see that look? Does he like you? Then I go see Rick. And, you know, we leave abruptly. And I'm like, oh, man, did I make him upset somehow? I, you know. And then the lie is, dude, you're alone in this. He's mad at you. The objective in community coming from the enemy is to make you feel alone when you're surrounded by people who love you. Does that make sense? Okay. So, two, stay connected with others. And hopefully, if you're staying connected with Jesus, he will reveal the lies, right? They all go together. So, three, stay connected with your process. This is really important. Know yourself. You have three aspects of who you are. You have a mind, you have actions, you have passions and emotions. Or as I like to say, you have your head, your hand, and your heart. Okay? That's who you are as a human. And you are in control of this side of your process. Right? It isn't your pastor's job to work out your faith. It's not. It's your job. It's their job to help lead. Here's the path. Let's go. Let's go together. It's not their job to work it out. It's your job. You own your faith. Open and shut. Okay. Sometimes, though, whenever we are questioning our faith, we aren't instantly aware of it. I know this to be true for myself. My amazing wife is like a hawk. She's like up top. She's just looking, right? (laughs) She can feel that I am working on or through something when I'm not even cognitively aware of it, right? Typically, it isn't until a few days or weeks later whenever I say, hey, Rachel, I think I'm struggling with this. And she'll say something like, yeah, you've been in a funk recently. (laughs) Typically, it is when I get real quiet and I look off in the distance and I just blank stare. And I just do that, right? And I'm just thinking about not what I'm actually feeling or experiencing. And I send all my mental energy there to that topic at that point in time. Now, even in my marriage, you can see how that forces me to stay connected with others. If I continue to separate from my wife each time I feel that, we're not going to make it. Just straight up. If every chance you get to self-disclose in a relationship, you step back, that relationship will die. Hmm. So, there are some questions of faith that can be answered in a day. Some take years. But you have to stay connected with your mind, constantly looking for the renewal of Jesus through your mind. Stay connected with your head means that you begin the deep process of coming with terms of what you know to be true, and you can logically form your theology, right? But you also stay connected with the process through the avenue of your heart. Peace in the middle of a storm doesn't logically make sense, right? But when the Lord addresses the heart, he can just drop peace in there, and there's no problem, right? The brain's like, what's going on? But the heart's like, dude, he's got this. But you want to be aware of both this and this, So, like, for example, 
someone might not have a theological conclusion on their view of the end times, which eschatology is a, there's probably hundreds, if not thousands of books written on it. Some of them are really bad. <laughs> Some of them are really good. Um, but you can not have that hammered out in your mind, but still have peace that the Lord is good, right? Because you're still staying connected with Jesus. So, uh, I would say that the first place, at least for me, maybe for you too, that I recognize that I have a, I'm starting to question something is based off where, where my actions are taking me, right? So typically, if I start going here too far, I stop doing the stuff with my hands. For example, if I do not believe in miraculous healing, then I'm not going to be praying for people. If I start questioning my view of healing, I'm not going to be praying for people. If I start questioning who the atonement is for and who gets saved and who doesn't get saved when it's all said and done, I'm probably not going to be doing a whole lot of evangelism because I'm going to be really confused. So you got to stay connected to the process. What am I thinking? What am I, what's going on here? And how are my actions reflecting this? I'm not a fan of fake it till you make it, right? I'm not a fan of just, just keep doing it until you got it figured out. It's like, why don't you own the process on all three, right? For me personally, whenever I don't have uh, it all hammered out, I typically freeze. So if I don't know how I view... Um, Salvation sounds so bedrock, right? When I don't know what that looks like, I really have to sit down and figure out what that looks like. I have to know what the parameters of the playing field are before I can play the game. Even doing that, there are still times where I still go play the game, right? Because I want to be faithful. Okay, so to, to help kind of this process, I'm running out of time. Um, I actually, uh, there, I love, I'm not going to say I love, I've studied developmental psychology, and it is so cool. And there's this groundbreaking psychologist in the early 1900s. His name was Jean Piaget. That's French, guys, real fancy. Uh, and he studied child development. Now, obviously, being a parent now, I'm like, I got to know how my kids are developing, you know? I got to know how far their eyes can see and when their brains are getting to what and when it's gas and when it's laughter, you know? Um, and as I look at how we develop trust in the Lord, that complete faith in God, and I look at how Jesus' words in Scripture about becoming like a child to enter into the kingdom of God, inherit the kingdom of God, and then I look at science... And I recognize that, like, they're interwoven. It's just really cool. So this is, they're going to throw it up here. I have a slide. This is a way of working through what you're thinking, feeling, and acting uh, based off of how a child is developed mentally. Okay? So this is, hopefully it's not too confusing. Um, top says assimilation equilibration, equi equilibrium, 
uh, new situation, disequilibrium, and accommodation. So this, this theory of social, you know, cognitive psychology says that when a child is born, they start to create buckets of information. For example, four-legged animal that goes woof. What is that? A dog. Next four-legged animal that goes moo. What is it? A dog. No, it's a cow. Boom, two buckets. Right? This one goes meow. Boom, three buckets of information. And then it gets to like mammals, right? And it gets really weird because then there's like whales that have hair, they're mammals. And there's like platypuses that lay eggs and they're mammals. So like there's things that come into the process that when they encounter a new animal as a child, they become disequilibrated. They're like, wait, something's not right here. What's going on? And then it's like, well, let me help you accommodate new information, right? Does this make sense? This takes months to really figure out. So if you guys are doing it in a minute, you're doing great. So with faith, Donovan, for example, comes into a relationship with Jesus. I'm now a part of the family. I'm in. Now I have this bucket of information of what it means to be Christian. But then I encounter new Christians, and some of them are jerks. So there's a bucket of jerky Christians, and then there's like a bucket of good Christians. And then it's like Christendom, and it's bigger. And then like you start this relationship with God, and Jesus, you're like, Jesus, you're like really cool in Scripture. Like you care for people, you love on people, you heal people, you, you like correct mean people. So it's like, I have this bucket of Jesus. But then like you read more, and you're like, Old Testament God's kind of different than Jesus, right? And then it's like, you find yourself in, boom, disequilibration. What do I do with a God that's both of these things, but still loving and just? Does this make sense? And then most of the time, people get stuck in that place. But the thing about disequilibration is you can't leave that place until you accommodate. Does that make sense? This is crazy stuff. So, in my thoughts, in my heart, and in my actions. When I become disequilibrated, my thought processes, my heart, and how I love, and my actions take a hit sometimes. But this is what it means to like own and stay connected with your process. You have to. Otherwise, you're going to get stuck. And when you get stuck in disequilibration, that is a cesspool for resentment. Bitterness, anger, hatred, basically everything that Yoda says leads to the dark side <laughs> happens in disequilibration if you're not staying connected and being aware of what's going on inside of you. So that is my, this is a lot of information, guys. You guys are doing great. That is my third rule for how to question your faith. Step one. Rule number one, stay connected with Jesus. People get lost in the fray if they don't. If you go to, to the place of disequilibration without Jesus, man, it's going to be a rough journey. Don't go alone. Go with Jesus and go with his friends. Stay connected with Jesus, stay connected with others, and stay connected to your process. Great. Mark, you ready? Okay, sorry. It's 1154. Does that make sense? Is that encouraging? Is that helpful?
had to work through a lot of stuff to get there. 